Forge family, our last time together in the book of the prophet Jonah, the prophet had heard from the Lord, from Yahweh, that he was supposed to travel 550 miles northeast to the great Assyrian city of Nineveh and cry out against its wickedness. Now, Nineveh is about 40 feet under the current city of Mosul in northern Iraq because in all the ancient world, Cities got built on the remains and the rubble of the previous city. Okay, so it's still there, but it's down there. <clears throat> okay? It's still on the Tigris River. And, and the Assyrians, their, their empire was noted for its wickedness and brutality that consumed the, the, the Assyrian Empire. Now, Jonah was going to have none of the Lord's command. For he knew that if Nineveh repented... Yahweh would not destroy it. Now, Jonah was a Hebrew, and uh, <clears throat> he saw Israel as God's people, even though Israel was not currently worshiping Yahweh. With all his heart, Jonah desired the Assyrians to be blotted out and driven by that desire. He turned southwest. He turned 180 degrees of where he was supposed to go and went 50 miles the other direction to the coast at Joppa. And um, he was trying to get as far away as he could from Nineveh and as far away from Yahweh as he could. He paid the fare for a ship. He chartered the ship and went down into the bowels of the vessel as it departed. Now quickly after setting sail, the Lord hurled a vicious great wind on the sea, creating a deadly storm. The ship's master and the crew were most likely Phoenicians, and who they quickly recognized that this was a spiritual storm, a spiritually driven storm. It was totally out of season, and they'd never seen anything like this before. It's out of their experience. They likely worshipped Baal Shamem. And as they began to cry out to their god, that didn't work. Then the crew jettisoned all the cargo over the side. That didn't work either. That made no difference, for the storm threatened to sh just shred that ship, tear it apart. The captain found Jonah asleep down in the hold and yelled at him and said, Why aren't you, you know, what, pray, pray to your God that you might some, we might somehow avoid a disaster and, the, and save the life of, this, of the crew. Jonah did not pray one word to Yahweh. The crew set about casting lots to determine whose fault lay at the source of this crazed storm. The lot fell on Jonah. And so he was questioned. He was interrogated. What have you done? Why are you on this ship? Now Jonah spools off his Hebrew heritage and orthodox beliefs regarding Yahweh Elohim as the Lord of creation, the maker of the heavens, the sea, and the dry land. That set Jonah's God high above Baal Shemem because that, that sub-god in the system of the Phoenician pantheon was just in charge of the sea. <clears throat> the crew begged him what should be done to him to calm the storm. And he said, throw me overboard. Well, they didn't want to do that. Uh, that, was, that was an awful thing. And they saw... They rode like mad to get back to the shore. Possibly this storm hit them just when they pulled out of the very harbor from Joppa. And it, they, could, they never left the sight of the land. It's possible they were right there off the beach being just torn apart by this wind. Okay? 
So they tried to row back to shore and put Jonah on the land and get him off the ship. Finally, they prayed to Yahweh because nothing else worked. And they cried out to him and, and asked that, uh, that God not kill them because of the sins of this prophet and not count the prophet's blood against them if they had to throw him into the sea. When they finished praying to Yahweh, Yahweh, they picked up Jonah, pitched him over the side. Well, <clears throat> when that happened, instantly the wind stopped and the sea went flat. You ever seen a glassy sea? It's, it's just flat and oily looking. It's just flat. And they are shocked. They're terrified at the power of the God that they just prayed to. And they offer a sacrifice and make vows. <clears throat> now this first chapter goes on its way to point out God's ever-encompassing, all-encompassing authority and all-merciful ways as he thwarts Jonah's flight. And he's not put off by Jonah's utterly selfish ways. Yahweh just keeps coming after him. Further, he shows mercy to pagan Gentiles who are converted in this raging storm. So let's pray. Lord God... Master of all that is, because you're the maker of all that is. We bow before you. We love you. We love you, Lord. We would obey you even when life is hard and runs contrary to our desires. We would be your people who do not just spool off beliefs. Instead, Lord, we would live humbly before you and keep your ways Lord, and not be those <clears throat> who are committed to the cafeteria, pick and choose what we want to believe and, and do as much of the North American churches today. Lord God, all of us who trust and believe in you need revival, need cleansing, need repositioning in the kingdom of God. In the midst of the storm in this nation, we cry out to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Forge family. Today we plunge, and there's no pun here, because we're, we're going to be underwater here for a bit, okay? <clears throat> we plunge beneath the waves of the storm that begins in, in um, and we begin in Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. It's highly doubtful that the Phoenician crew saw the great fish, for the waves had been whipped into an opaque state. Before Jonah boarded the ship, before the storm, before being heaved overboard, the Lord had appointed, great Hebrew word, appointed a great fish to be ready on sight. The Hebrew word for appointed means to be prepared. So nothing has evaded the Lord God. And this is not an astonishing event. This is not a miracle. This is God at work in advance. And God is in control. The fish is prepared ahead. And it's not a surprising consequence of falling into the sea. More correctly, this is a sign to the Hebrews and to the Gentiles. The sign is later spoken of by Jesus to his detractors as the sign of Jonah. And Jonah was the one who preceded Jesus and spent three days and three nights in the belly of Sheol in physical death. 
Now, in verse 1 of chapter 2, it, it sets the stage for the psalm of Jonah. <clears throat> in the following eight verses, we find the motherload of cross-references to other scripture. Obviously, Jonah knew the psalms and used 20 different psalms to flesh out these eight verses. Now, you can find those references on the little sheet that I passed out in advance. You can check it out for yourself. In verse 2, Jonah finally prays to Yahweh out of the stomach of the fish. He might not even have known where he fetched up, just that it was pitch black. Additionally, without oxygen, he would have perished in the sea or in the belly of the great fish. And the prepared fish swallowed him as instructed by God to bolt to to so in the belly of this fish he would be preserved and rather than being gobbled up by other sea life. We can easily you know we can survive easily for three days with no food. We we got a grumbly tummy, but we it's fine. That's that's we can do that. It's much harder to survive for three days without water. But it's it, it, people do that all the time. Okay? Lastly, you can't survive for three days without oxygen. Commentators disagree whether Jonah was preserved alive and or was resurrected from death. My take is, in light of the sign of Jonah <clears throat> given by Jesus, who himself would die on the cross and be resurrected three days later, that sets Jonah in the belly of the fish as a corpse resurrected from death as a precursor of Messiah <clears throat> and to prepare Jonah for these eight verses <clears throat> that uh, after Jonah's resurrection and expulsion from the belly of the fish. Verses 2 to 9 say the, say the following. I called out in my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I called for help from the depth of Sheol. Thou didst hear my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All the breakers and billows passed over me. And I said, I have been expelled from thy sight. That's not a true statement right there. Nevertheless, I have looked again toward thy holy temple. Water encompassed me to the very soul, and the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the root of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But thou hast brought up a life, my, up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. <clears throat> While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to me into thy holy temple. Those who regard their vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So I believe there's a three-day and three-night gap here between chapter 116, where he's tossed into the, into the ocean, <clears throat> and chapter 2-2, two, two, where Jonah begins to, to speak of the, the psalm of Jonah. Okay, He was plunged under the waves and the billows and wrapped with seaweed and drowned, swallowed by the great prepared fish. The point of the fish here is one of preservation of Jonah's dead body, just as the stone tomb preserved the body of Jesus in the natural. Now note that in verse 2 that Jonah cries out from the belly of Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew realm where the dead 
remain until the resurrection to judgment. It is into Sheol that Jesus was consigned on his death. Hebrew tradition held that <clears throat> death was final after three days. So Jonah, Lazarus, and Jesus all qualified as dead <clears throat> based on that tradition. Jonah was not destined to be slowly digested, but verse 10 says that a, a living Jonah was vomited out of the belly of the fish onto dry land. So as it, verse 2 was, I believe, formed in Jonah's heart on resurrection while still in the belly of the fish, while still in the belly of Sheol. He cries out and the Lord answers him, recognizing that he had died and been made alive again, he raised his voice in prayer in the pitch blackness within the fish. And Yahweh heard him. In verse 3, the track of events <clears throat> begins to display Jonah's twisted look at God and how God was de had dealt with him. Now, his, his lot in the mind of Jonah is God's fault. Jonah states it was God who cast him into the cascading, tormented waves, completely forgetting that he had instructed the crew to do that to him. Jonah is unaware that God had prepared a fish as a sarcophagus and incubator for Jonah. Nowhere in, in the psalm does he ever mention the fish. This is a lament and placement of blame on God. Jonah spews out memories of sinking into the sea toward its depths, but on resurrection. He aims his prayers twice to the holy temple in Jerusalem. Now, where did, where did Jonah live? He lived amongst the ten tribes to the north. Okay? Now, he, I suppose he could have sort of snuck over the border and worked his way down to Jerusalem another way and gone in and out of Jerusalem as he chose. But the rest of, of Israel was worshiping golden calves. <clears throat> so twice he prays to the holy temple in Jerusalem, not into the heavens, to the Lord. Jonah had no sense of God's global, universal control. He had no awareness of the presence of God with him on the ship, in the sea, in the fish, or on dry land. <clears throat> For him, God's presence was only felt in the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 6 speaks of the bars of the earth that have held Jonah captive. Those relate to the gates of hell, if you will, and it is with, at that moment of recognizing his captivity and his death that Yahweh intervenes again. Jonah desires to die rather than to proclaim the mercy of God to Nineveh. Well, he's interdicted. He's, he's not allowed to, to get away with that. Jonah proclaims that it is the Lord who has brought up his life from the pit, from the corruption of death. And finally, Jonah begins to give credit where it's due. Yes, as he was at the point of death, he remembered the Lord and prayed to the temple in Jerusalem, the only place he could conceive the, of God's presence. Now, there's scholars who pounce on verse 7 here, and in reference to those who give worship and regard to empty idols, just as the ten rebel tribes were doing. Golden calves, remember? Okay, But for those scholars, this is finally a word from the prophet Jonah to Israel. 
Now, I think that Jonah personally falls into the category he describes, but is unaware of. Because the text says that specific idol worshipers have forsaken the loyal love, the faithfulness of God, the hesed of God that they had possessed. Now, other scholars, the other side of that question is, they choose to put the blame on the Gentiles who worshipped idols and have rejected the loyal love of the Creator God. Knowing Jonah's bitter stance against the uh, uh, the idolatrous Assyrians, I take this verse as aimed again at the Assyrians, even after Jonah has died and been resurrected, personally experiencing God's hesed, the loyal love of God for him, I take this as another shot by Jonah to buttress how righteous he feels in his anger towards God. Jonah finishes his psalm with, the, with pledges to sacrifice and keep his vows to Yahweh with the voice of thanksgiving. He, he honestly is grateful to be alive from the dead. Verse 10 concludes the chapter with the word of the Lord spoken to the fish. Spit that prophet out onto dry land. Now, Jonah had supposed that he could depart from the presence of the Lord by leaving the land of Israel and boarding ship. In the midst of the storm that God was God sent, he spools off Orthodox Israelite doctrine, theology, much more prevalent in Judah than in amongst the ten rebel tribes, while he lived in gross contradiction of those statements of faith. He tried to organize his own death to avoid the command of the Lord to go to Nineveh. Now, once he is resurrected inside the fish, Jonah's new relationship is there, and he begins to credit his difficulties to God, (laughs) even as he rejects his own guilt and responsibility. So as as alive now in the presence of God, he still doesn't understand God's message is one of condemnation. And um, he's to be be part of that revelation of Yahweh's hesed to the most vicious enemies of Israel. He is part of God's means to an end. So Ford's family, sin on a broad spectrum, results in self-justification and becomes more and darkened, more bizarre, and more implausible as it continues. Right now, in the exposition of Jonah, I'm dealing personally with levels of, of either overlooked, stuffed, denied, dismissed, hidden, sin, of which I have never seriously grasped or been aware of. That's hidden to me, but not to my wife. This text is winnowing my belief, my behaviors, and my attitudes. Much like Jonah's experience of flight, drowning, and being vomited up on the shore by the great fish. Perhaps that's true for others here at church at home, or those who are touched by the far-flung impact of the podcasts that that flow out of Forge Church. If so, seek the Lord's face. 
his loyal love and reflect it back to him. Your countenance, your loyal love for him. Seek to understand his global presence and plans, but trust in his ways, that his ways are perfect. Let's pray. Lord of the universe, we bow to thee. Thank you for your loyal love your faithfulness to we who trust in Jesus. We all need to grow up and keep turning back to you and away from our selfishness, our flesh, our pride, our sense of destiny and control. From before time began, you knew us and you called us to yourself. We repent from any turning away, from any grip we hold to our self-righteousness. We love you more than anything or anyone. In Jesus' name, amen.